Hey guys, it's the uh, Getting Started Late Growing With Fishes podcast, episode 20. I'm Steve. And I'm Marty. And uh, we try to do this show every week. Sometimes we fail. Um, <laughs> um, last week, um, we had a whole bunch of technical difficulties and all kinds of issues. So sorry about that. We're going to work towards preventing that kind of stuff in the future. Um, yeah. So... Um, Which, to be fair, we've had a lot of different problems, but not the same problem over and over again. So, yes, every time we've had issues, it has always been a new issue. (laughs) Be it Jamaican internet, satellite internet, (laughs) random camera issues, random. We had one one podcast that nobody could stream video to, and just quit. Oh yeah. We had one where our audio worked perfectly, but neither one of our cameras decided to work. Oh, you name it. It happens. And then last week, it just died altogether. So, that was, yeah. That was fun. <laughs> just all um, of a sudden, we're off so, I'm like, oh. <laughs> I got a bunch of different um, pokers in the fire right now, but I don't have much I can talk about or anything that's really immediate i have some um might be back in the caribbean we'll know in three or four weeks um if we're back in the caribbean sooner than later at least sooner than anticipated at least and um what else do we have going on i think that's about it for now we have some other stuff going on out here i can't quite talk about yet and um i think that's about it for now um what do you got going on I know you got a bunch of new pictures and stuff up. Yeah, I've been posting pictures, you know, obviously as they get farther in the flower, that's the more the more fun time to photograph. And then um, they just hit eight weeks today, pretty close. And then I don't know if we can get that to focus or not. But anyway, this is a sample. I, a little bit. That's the sample that I just Back got. Back it up just an inch or two. There you go. And uh, so this is just, it was like a little floater underneath anyway. And uh, but and I just cut it not that long ago. But even for wet, it's pretty dense. <sighs> Smells good too. So pretty excited for that. <clears throat> and uh, got a couple also of the Starfighter, just a couple little tester nugs. And uh, so I'll take a look at those under the microscope and check them out. But those are always always fun to uh, just kind of test them out. But I would say just I only looked at them for a little bit. I cut them about an hour ago. And uh, so I only looked at them a little bit, but I would say, um, you know, probably still need another three or four days before they're ready to cut all the way down. But uh, yeah, and then the outdoor just started flowering um, since our last podcast. <clears throat> so um, top dressed with some fresh castings in the in the soil layer and uh, watered in with some tea and uh, made a little fruit. Um, fermentation with some kiwi and some half-rotten blackberries that we got from the market, which kind of sucks, but might as well ferment them out. So so kiwis, blackberries, uh, some watermelon rind. Um, What else do we have in there? That's about it. Quite a few of those things. Anyway. So I threw that together, so I'll probably feed that. Uh, let's see, I made it 
day before yesterday. So I usually like to do those for at least a week or so. So another few days and I'll feed that. And, uh, but yeah, pretty much everybody's triggered in the flower now outside. So I'll need to cut down the inside pretty soon because, uh, there they'd be overlapping and be over numbers with both of them. So, uh, so that'll get cut down relatively soon. Probably, like I said, within the next three or four days. Um, the cheese I might let go a little bit longer because it seems like, and it's a mystery, we don't really know exactly what strain it is, but the only thing we know is that it's blue cheese. But uh, <clears throat> just one seed out of the blue cheese plant from last year, and uh, it happened to be female, and um, but it's still got a bunch of white hairs on it, and, uh, and it's all clear trikes, so it's definitely going to take a little bit longer. We think it might be crossed with uh, lemon OG or pineapple express, but we're not really sure which one. And uh, they both smell really citrusy anyway, so it's going to be kind of hard to tell. The only thing I can say is that it, it grows a little lankier, a little bit more like an OG, so I think I'm leaning a little, a little bit more towards lemon OG and blue cheese. But anyway, <clears throat> that's the only one I haven't, uh, haven't cut anything off of yet because it's just clearly not done, so... I didn't even bother with that, and uh, yeah, that's about it. Oh, I was gone for, uh, what, like three days, and then back for a couple of days, and then gone again, and so when I was gone, I had my neighbor looking after the, like, supposed to just be feeding the fish, and uh, he's he's a he's a grower. I hesitate to say that a little bit, because he's, you know, he's like a, he's a bottle baby. It's kind of what we call him, you know. When I first met him, I walk in and he had like Miracle Grow in his garage and stuff, and so we've slowly sort of weaned him off of that stuff, at least to a little bit more. Uh, he still buys bottles, but at least it's slightly better bottles, I guess. Um, so anyway, I had him watching over it, and so he decided that um, he also needed to like refill all of my fish tanks, so. Um, he refilled everything up, but obviously he didn't know to put in an EPH down. So for like four days, my plants were at like eight and a half pH. So, yeah, so they, I lost a few leaves on the bottom. Just They just yellowed out by the time I got back, and they were all curled up. He's like, oh, I think they don't like the heat. And I'm like, uh, yeah, well, they don't, but they also don't like eight and a half pH. So... Um, so anyway, I got that corrected. So everything, you know, they're straightening back out and everything's greened up again and it just faded a little bit and lost a little growth. But, uh, the kale was fine though. Like all the kale and vegetables and stuff was like, meh, no big deal. I mean, I'm sure their growth rate slowed down a little bit, but they didn't really seem to care in terms of they didn't show any yellowing or anything like that. But anyway, so, uh, so yeah, um, other than that, the soil garden's looking good. I added in, uh, I did swap out. I had one clone that was like not really performing and wasn't really doing that well. Like it was not even a quarter of the size of other plants that I put in at same size. And uh, so I think it must have had like a root issue and it transplanted or something. Anyway, so <clears throat> I had a couple extra plants. I pulled it out, swapped in another one. that um, was pretty much the same size and is gonna overtake it in growth just because it's a more healthy plant. So uh, luckily I have good friends and lots of plants. So uh, I just tore that one up and threw in another one. 
and uh, I threw in the extra plants that I found that I can have with my permit. So that was kind of cool. Going, you know, since I already paid for the permit, I figured I might as well have as many as I am allowed. So I threw in another um, six plants on top of what I had in already. So originally I thought I would be still limited to 10, but since I'm paying for the permit, I get approved for up to what I had previously, which was uh, three total cards. And at the time there was no rec. So uh, three total cards would have been six plants each. That would have been 18 plants. So technically I'll be able to have up to 18 plants. Um, so that was kind of nice. So I threw out some extra plants that I didn't have in the ground because I didn't think I would be able to. I thought I would, even with the outdoor permit, I thought I'd still only be able to have 10. So uh, I got those in the ground and uh, yeah. Just kind of uh, trying to get a lot done, and that time of year, you know, every everybody's setting flower, and you know, get, now's the the only time to give them that boost in the beginning that they need to have to to really do a good job. So, I, at least I'm glad that it happened right around the beginning of flower in terms of like the pH lockout and stuff. Um, it's not a terrible time to have it happen. Um, you know, they had a they had a good long veg in before that so uh so yeah i think everything's going relatively well the the outdoor soil garden is definitely looking great too um it didn't get quite as much water as i would have liked it to have when i was gone also that was kind of another thing that was uh frustrating about you know <laughs> letting someone else take care of your garden for a few days can be stressful and uh so they were really thirsty when i got back and uh it's been really hot so you know it makes sense and uh, they just need to get a lot more water than what they did. So I've actually been kicking it up now uh, to um, watering them twice a day um, and doubling the amount of water that I'm giving them just to, and they've recovered really well just in the last, you know, probably four or five days. And they weren't really bad to begin with. It was just, you could tell they weren't getting the same level of growth and they were getting a little droopy at the end of the day after the long heat, all that stuff. So I wouldn't say anything drastic, just not ideal. And uh, yeah, but I think right now, now I'd say everything is pretty much ideal. All the systems are balanced again. I don't have anywhere to go for a little while and uh, probably won't ask my neighbor to do that again. <laughs> so yeah, that's about it for here, I guess. And uh, trying to think if there was anything else I have going on. Um, I have a couple of starfighter plants that I think I'm going to veg for a long time, uh, like probably like two months and try to grow like two big plants in my indoor just to have like a, I don't know, just say I've done it, I guess, just to contrast the difference between doing four smaller plants versus two larger ones. And then I can keep the indoor system running while the outdoor is flowering as long as it's in veg and I can maintain both systems. So. Um, I still have, I think, two more starfighters that I'm going to put into veg and probably do just two plants in my indoor and, and grow them to pretty good size and try to fill up that whole net with just two plants, which um, you know won't, won't be that difficult. I think the main reason I didn't fill up the net this time on the indoor was just that I didn't have enough time to let them veg before 
they had to start flowering in order to finish on time. Like even now, they're probably, you know, going to run a little bit late, like a week or two of overlap versus flowering with the outdoor also. So, um, you know, just time constraints. But uh, so to keep the indoor running over the while the outdoor is flowering, I'll, I'll veg probably two, maybe, maybe I'll do four, we'll see. But I'll, I want to fill up that whole net on the indoor this time and uh, run the same amount of lights because I think I could um, I think I could yield a lot more if I was able to veg them just a little bit longer. So that's the overall plan for me anyway. Um, you know, just kind of take it as it goes though. We'll, we'll see what happens. I, I still have a pre-98 Bubba and uh, another mystery cheese mom that uh, I may end up doing something with also. So. We'll see. We'll see. I like pre-98 Bubba. Have you had that before? Yeah, that's a really good one. I've had it in a while. Have you ever grown it in aquaponics? Uh, I haven't. Cool. I always like new strains. So. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, that's what I got going on. What do you got list on your... I know you had some news articles you want to talk about, right? Yeah, there was a bunch of cool stuff in the news this week, more than usual. So um, the U.S. Justice Department can no longer spend money to prosecute federal marijuana cases if the defendant complied with state guidelines that permit the drug sale for medical purposes. A federal appeals court ruled today. So that means they can't even spend money to prosecute you as long as you follow the state law. So if you're a medical patient in a, in a state, they can no longer use or prosecute you with federal money. They can't even spend money on it. Um, that was a huge victory today um, for the uh, the cannabis movement, especially the medical movement. It totally, it was one of the last, you know, things that needed to happen to help really curb some any you know last federal uh, prosecution of legal legal growers. So I apologize about that. Um, so we had um, another one, which is um, the government refuses. Uh, oh, yeah. So um, the DEA decided to decline um, reclassifying it, although they did. Um, uh, they are going to allow more than just that one Mississippi Research Center. So we'll see what happens um, with how that all plays out. Um, but, you know, it's better than nothing, but it is kind of ridiculous that they couldn't at least deschedule it. Um, onto something more reasonable, you know. I mean, it should be completely descheduled, but you know, that's besides the point. Um, uh, another big one that happened over the last week is the um, the stingray. Uh, um, so, a federal judge ruled this past week that the um, stingray, which is a, a tool that the police use to um, steal uh, police uh, people's cell phone information, it gives them all kinds of information on it. Um, their use is questionably legal by a whole number of reasons. Um, but a federal judge um, ruled that their use and cell phone location data that is gathered by your um, uh, cell phone provider is all must, they have to get a separate warrant for that. They can no longer just drive down the road and blanketly scoop up everybody. They have to actually get a specific warrant 
for a specific person and say we're going to use the specific area for the specific person at the specific time and place. They can't just go willy-nilly blanketly getting these open-ended warrants anymore. Um, so that was a huge victory in terms of um, some of the ridiculous crap that they've been pulling in some cities as far as predatory um, predatory actions on people that are not bothering anybody. Um, right, so for instance... In, in a large number of cases. Right, so for instance, they would set up surveillance in an area um, that had a dispensary, for instance, and then try to be able to monitor, you know, phone calls, all kinds of different stuff um, of people that were going into the dispensary. Um, I think it was, I can't remember. I know the article you were talking about. I think um, there was an instance of, uh, maybe it was in Colorado, where they were basically just like, camping outside the dispensary and um, trying to track people going in and out of there and uh, get bus off of it. <clears throat> and uh, obviously that's not what we want our tax dollars spent on. So <laughs> seems like there's better things they can do. Absolutely. Um, and then um, there was a cool article I wanted to bring up and this was on uh, newscientist.com, and they did this whole genomic study of um, cannabis uh, and it, it, like ancient cannabis and its travel, how it traveled, um, and then they like overlaid that with um, a bunch of different agricultural methods and what year they hit, and uh, as well as a couple of other different civilization markers um, and they found that it heavily heavily overlapped with when uh, cannabis was introduced into their local culture um, but the title of the uh, article was pretty awesome it was founders of western civilization or pre prehistoric dope dealers um, which I just thought was uh, yeah it's oh, a little yeah. clickbaity but it's pretty funny yeah, um, and how they there's a lot of really cool yeah. research um, that went into it, and I'll post the links to these articles in the uh, in the uh, description there. But uh, I just thought it was pretty neat um, and pretty funny. <laughs> um, bring that one up. Yeah, the one actually, at uh, get... is good stuff. It's like good history too. Just shows yep. you how long that stuff's been around. Like, uh, you know, like somebody asked in a different group. The other day, they were asking, you know, how long, you know, when did when did dabs start? Because he smoked in high school, and they didn't have dabs then; they just had weed. And it's like, well, I mean, dabs is just sort of a like a general term, you know. It's not like extracts have been yeah. been made for like right. thousands of years, like. like yeah, but they haven't really been smoked. They weren't smoked until about well, eight hundred AD. At least as far as smoking, it was always um, eaten. People, they would eat hash. Right. But still, it's still an extract. Yeah, it's absolutely true. So anyway, it's just a, you know, like, a, I just think it's an interesting thing. So I guess for people that don't know, you know, a lot about it, obviously, you know, pretty much any sort of, for the most part, when when somebody says dabs, they're usually referring to like BHO or, you know, some sort of like hash derivative. But uh, yeah, so 
I think that uh, it's just funny that we come up with these different terms to sort of reinvent the same thing. But uh, it's been going on for a long time, really. Uh, you know, and that's kind of what that article hits on is like how they, you know, it was an entire trade industry. It was a, you know, sought after commodity as opposed to a banned substance. And uh, obviously, so much more than what it can be. Sales and rope and all kinds of useful things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially the, you know, like, you know, ropes and even like, uh, I was reading about how they would use it, like the resin from hemp to be able to like patch ships and stuff because once it's hardened um, in at sea, you know, the water is always so cold that you pretty much can't. You know, plus, if you ever try to clean your bong with cold water, you'll know exactly, exactly. Well, what we're talking about. That shit's just not coming off. So, basically, they <laughs> resin out of that stuff to be able to patch their boats, and uh, and it worked and great. Giant so. bongs out of uh, whiskey barrels, and they'd all sit there and smoke <laughs> until they had enough resin to patch the boat. I mean, you know, if somebody shot a cannonball, they'd be like, <laughs> and, you know, power smoke the. <laughs> That's good. So, so obviously, uh, um, you know, seawater is going to be cold all the time. So they really had no issues with it, um, like warming up and coming loose and stuff. So it was a great thing, a great commodity for them to have because, you know, if they needed to burn down some, some hemp to make some, uh, some rosin or resin or whatever you want to call it out of it, if they wanted to sort of cook it down and be able to patch their boat, um, you know, it, it was a great thing to be able to have. So it's very, it was very versatile. And then obviously for ropes and stuff before nylon, it was pretty much the go-to for large scale ropes and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of the books that talk about the different conspiracies behind outlaw, uh, outlawing cannabis is, uh, is nylon being invented around that time and having influence over certain government officials yeah. at the time. So, uh, nylon the definitely as well. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so yeah, I definitely think that um, you know it's so versatile and and so cool to see like different ways that it's been used throughout history for way way more than it's being used for now. Um, at least in most places, obviously here in Colorado and even where you're at there in California, different places like that, you know, you can use it for a lot more stuff, but still not not nearly the potential that that it could be you know there's still uh you know there's still i think a, a big market for hemp to fill in terms of um you know paper products and different uh you know hemp create building materials a lot of stuff that you know we were just starting to scratch the surface on Absolutely. We, so we didn't really get a chance to hit the questions last week because we had, I don't we're not really sure what happened. It, it said live on my screen and then suddenly it stopped working on Marty's and then we're not really sure what happened when the, when the thing went dead. So um, we, we didn't hit the questions last week, so we have a bunch of questions. So we're going to hit those next. Cool. Um, so uh, did you have any questions first, I guess, before we go through the list that I got? Um, no, I don't think I had any this week. 
Okay. Um, so, okay, uh, so do you know the specific episode where you go through feeding between veg and flour? I might be able to answer most of my questions. Um, we haven't done a specific um, episode on that yet, um, but I'm going to have a bunch of stuff on fish food and fish feeding and all that stuff coming up. Um, for this episode later, assuming we have time to fit that in tonight. Uh, if not, we'll hit that next episode. Um, right now we have stuff on that. Um, right now I have a veg tank filled with guppies, mostly eating mostly veg-based food, uh, and my flower tank is getting, it is filled with goldfish since goldfish are easier to feed live worms and such. Um, so the the guppies and all that are going to not provide a whole you know the flowering tanks the one you're going to feed much more veggie based and plant based um, rather than the uh, then the vet, the veg room, the med room, and the veg tank. You're going to want to feed a lot more protein, and a lot more insects, and a lot more meat, and that kind of stuff. Frozen foods, that kind of thing. And then it says, uh, "Do you have a particular recipe for what to feed the tilapia and veg and flour?" Um, I don't have a particular recipe, but um, I will get into different insects and stuff like that. Um, did you want to add anything to that? Um, you kind of broke up there, so I'm not sure exactly what, I don't know if it was just my connection or what, but I don't know exactly what you said. But anyway, the, um, you know, obviously oh, okay. just looking to lower the nitrogen content when going into flour, um, you know, so, you know, you can do that in various ways. Like the food that you feed them is obviously a good idea to, to change that up like you were talking about. And, um, you know, I, I also use like companion planting, so I'll, I'll plant stuff that I know is going to use nitrogen in the system and be sprouted about, you know, at least the first few weeks of flower so that I can get a good, good set after that. And for me, I know I have excess calcium and I have hard water, so I like to add things like kale, for instance, um, so that uh, I don't have to... Uh, um, worry about like doing water changes. So basically as I add water and it evaporates, if I, I don't use up the calcium and it starts becoming excess, it can block out other nutrients or, or the total hardness of the water can start going up. And so I want uh, I want to use up that, that calcium if possible. And so uh, kale is a great way to do that because it, um, it eats up a lot of it relatively quickly and will, will grow sort of to scale in terms of how much is present in your system. So if you have a lot of it, it'll grow a lot. If you don't have a lot, it won't grow as fast or as big, but still, you know, does relatively fine. So uh, I grow a lot of kale and plus kale chips are amazing. So, you know, there's always that easy to make uh, Heck yeah. little garlic salt. Barbecue kale chip. That's what's up. Yeah. Good stuff. So, um, so yeah, and then I, I grow a lot of greens too um, that, you know, like shard and stuff like that. Um, just regular lettuce, um, I find is fine, um, except for when it gets hot, it bolts. So uh, obviously that's a little bit more difficult unless you're doing it inside. So the indoor, I do some lettuce and like spinach and stuff like that because I don't have to worry about it bolting. But outside, 
definitely. I don't. I don't do lettuce out there, except for like uh, I have a. I think it's called uh, butternut lettuce or butter butter lettuce or something like that. Um, butter crunch. That's it. Butter crunch lettuce. Yeah. I got from the local farmers market. Uh, first of all, it's delicious, and second of all, it doesn't bolt um, and can handle the heat a lot better than regular lettuce does. So, I do have some of that in the outdoor right now, and, and it's doing um, doing really well. So, um, so yeah, I think that uh, that's the only um, thing that I would add is that you know, especially if you have hard water, um, or if you have a lot of fish, that you know, you, know, um, you can definitely need to lower the nitrogen in your system and consuming it is a great way to do that rather than cutting back on feed. So unless you can cut back a lot on feed or take some of the fish out as you go in, um, into flour or some way to reduce the nitrogen. And, and I find the best way to do that is to consume it with leafy greens and then eat it. Um, so that's, a, you know, I would say that's probably the, the guidelines that I follow between uh, veg and flour. And then I change what I put in my worm bin too. So, yeah, seeding. Sorry, go ahead. Seeding uh, watercress and other things like that as well. You know, when you transition into flour right beforehand is another great way to help suck it up near the end. Right, right. And then you get a lot of good enzymes uh, from sprouting a lot of seeds too. So I do a lot of uh, like microgreens. Um, I like I have a microgreen mix from the local farmer's market that has like spinach and all kinds of stuff. But anyway, you get a, a nice release of enzymes, kind of like a sprouted seed tea right in your beds if you just sprout them in there. So, um, and microgreen seeds are great because you can just spread them out and you don't have to care if you, you know, each one of them sprouts or anything like that. So you just kind of toss them out, roll them in. I like to dig down to where you get to that, um, the layer above the water level, but it's still damp um, in the media. And I put my seeds right in there and I, I pretty much, I think I get, I would say at least 90% sprout rate um, and don't really have an issue with that. If I notice that some of them aren't sprouting, then a couple of times I'll just come through um, and put some water <clears throat> over the top of them for a couple of days straight and then I'll find the rest of them will pop pretty soon. So, um, so yeah, I think that's probably my, my veg to flower transition. And then, my worms, I, I try not to give them any leafy greens or anything that's going to create nitrogen um, in my worm bin during flower either. So I actually have separate bins that I feed from. I have one that I put leafy greens in, and then the other one gets primarily fruit um, scraps, like the fruit fermentation I was talking about earlier. When the fermentation finishes, the, all the leftovers from that will go into the worm bin, and they'll eat what's left over from that. And then, you know, the usual banana peels, apple cores, uh, you know, peach pits, you know, pretty much whatever, whatever we have left over that we normally just throw away. Um, all the fruit goes into the flowering bin and the veg gets all the leafy greens. So I'll feed that to uh, like my outdoor systems when they're vegging. Um, I'll feed that tea to my <coughs> uh, outdoor soil garden, my vegetable garden, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So two worm bins is is uh, definitely a good idea. If you don't have two different worm bins, then uh, you know I would you know definitely just suggest trying to adjust the best you can in terms of what you put in there at what time. So when you start flowering, you know just try to keep it to fruit and uh, 
you know, maybe store up your veggies in, um, you know, Bokashi bucket or something like that to where you can just kind of hold off on that nitrogen because you don't want to add more nitrogen into a system that already has a nitrogen, you know, nitrogen rich system. Um, you're just kind of shooting yourself in the foot unless you have, I guess, a lot of square footage to grow, um, you know, a lot of leafy greens to consume it. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of my basic strategy for transition and managing it. My, you know, mine's a little more homegrown style, obviously for, you know, you guys, when you guys are just dosing stuff, you can just change what you're dosing, obviously. And, um, I don't know. Do you ever dose nitrogen? I can't, I can't imagine you do, right? No. And veg, the only time I'd even think about it would be if, while I was cycling the system just to grow stuff off the bat. Right. You, know, you can run kind of like an organic hydro while your system's cycling just to get stuff going immediately, but it's sure. not the only time I'd ever consider it. I mean, maybe if I just for some reason had just like massive plants and later veg that I just were struggling to keep the nitrogen high enough, but you know, I could feed the plant, the fish five times a day. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Why would you, yeah, it just doesn't, doesn't seem like it. Unless you, you know, like maybe you, you know, just harvested a bunch of fish for instance, or, you know, and we're trying to veg a whole bunch of plants. I mean, I guess if you were, I've just never had that where I, you know, um, I guess where I, I didn't have enough, and, and I go with such low stocking density as it is. There's only, you know, like generally, you know, four or five fish in my systems for, you know, six to seven plants if we're talking medicine plants. And then my front porch, that whole system only has, I think, uh, I think there's four goldfish in that one right now too. And so, um, you know, I, I just can't imagine, you know, it would be that hard to just throw some more in there. Oh, did I lose Steve? Your video is locked up. Yep, yep, I did. I don't even have the thing open, so if you're talking to me on chat, I can't see it. Steve is gone. Are you back? Hey, I'm back. There he is. I'll make sure that we're still alive. Make sure yep. we end up with a total crash. Cool. We're still good. Yeah, all right, we're back. Just wanted to confirm after last week. <laughs> yeah, that last one was weird. Normally, we can come back, or I discovered when I when I watched some of the other videos back that even when you drop off, I'm still live. So, um, and yeah. uh, it actually shows the connection to the server is independent from mine. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so we were talking about transitioning from veg to flower and and all that, um, and then you know, like why you might add nitrogen, which would just be that if for some reason you didn't, uh, you know, that you, you couldn't get more fish uh, or you couldn't feed them any more often than you're already feeding them. Um, 
you know, maybe you have a solids issue, <laughs> but then again, if you have a solids issue, you probably don't have a, you know, nitrogen, you're not lacking any nitrogen because you should be able to break that stuff down. So, um, you know, the only thing I can think of is if you were just, you know, really trying to veg a lot of plants on a very, very small amount in a new system, um, you know, so maybe yeah. your, your nitri nitrification uh, ecosystem hasn't quite evolved yet. So uh, <clears throat> you might need to dose a little bit extra. And I, and I don't think it's bad to dose a little bit, like especially if you, you know, I think that you're obviously going to get some in any sort of like, uh, compost tea or you know, I'm sure I get some in my worm tea anyway so I don't think it's bad to add some as long as you have the plant load to, to absorb it so um, that, that was one question somebody asked me at some point um, I don't remember when uh, but um, where you know just when you might add nitrogen and that was the only thing I could think of too would be a, a, a new system that hasn't quite got its bacteria established yet or um, you would just need to veg a whole lot of plants in the small system or big plants, I guess could be that too. Um, I have a question for our viewers. Where the heck can I host our podcast or does anyone know how to set up an RSS for the podcast so I can get this thing up on iTunes and some other places that all of y'all keep requesting us to host on. Um, and I'll, like uh, three different people asked me to host it. I'm happy to, and I just don't know how to do the RSS thing or find me another website. So if someone can point me to the right direction or leave a comment, um, that would be great. Um, Fish, uh, Fish Ganja Guy, um, because he likes to write all the cannabis shows every week, um, even though he was on Monday and Wednesday this week over on, uh, on Dude Grows. So I got to poke him. I know him yeah, in my life. I'm going to make fun of him a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, he writes, in the soil zone of my DR system, I'm doing veg and dried out the normal rate. And now in my second week of flower, I've been noticing the soil has been staying damp much longer. Do you think the additional weight of the plant gained uh, during stretch has caused it to slowly sink into the hydrogen? Um, hold on. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I would just shift it up just a little bit. So I don't know if you're spinning your pots, but what I do is I normally give my pots like a half or quarter turn every two or three days. Um, and it just keeps the plants rounded off up until, you know, I'm going to scrog them. Now, if you've already scrogged them, um, then what I would do is just try to lift that pot up just a little bit um, or even just depending on how your access if you if you have easy access to your standpipe pull your standpipe and just take a little bit off of it um, and just lower it just a little bit um, which is should be super easy if you have a normal bell siphon or um, depending on how what you're using for your flood level uh, you should be able to reduce it um, just a little bit without too much of an issue um, to adjust for that every once in a while especially if your plants get really massive root systems sometimes it will but i really i think i've seen that happen maybe once or twice and i just attributed it to when i transplanted them over to the flowering room i did kind of didn't i pushed them a little bit down too far uh, but um you know I, that's the only time i guess i've run into that i would say that if you find your water level raising um from what it did before there's a good chance that your drain could be partially blocked any oh, yeah. um that your your water level is slowly creeping up 
Um, and so it probably doesn't have much to do with your transition into flower other than that your, you know, your plants are bigger and your root systems, you know, uh, I find in aquaponics, the root systems just generally go nuts and take up pretty much as much room as you can possibly give them. So, um, you know, like that's what happened in one of my systems, uh, my outdoor system, one of the, the one with the biggest plant in it, um, it, it literally just in, with roots alone, a two inch drain out was just packed solid through the roots. And I noticed that the water level had started to creep up and creep up and noticed that the top of the media <clears throat> was starting to get, just stay a little damp in the mornings and stuff. So, um, so that's why I started to look at it. And uh, so I pulled that out and, you know, just growing down the drain was probably like four and a half feet long worth of roots. Um, and so if you let that go, eventually it, it will just clog up and, uh, and start overflowing your bed or, um, you know, cause other issues with your siphon to not be able to run uh, at, at least as efficiently. So check and make sure that you don't have roots growing down into your drain. Um, even if you're keeping media out of it with like a media guard, if you have a bell siphon, um, that can be an issue. Like I have a net pot that sits over the top of the inlet, um, which keeps media out of it and clogging it up great, but roots grow right through it. And so in this case, it was just a massive root ball. So um, that would be my other piece of advice is that if you have it, uh, you know, if you notice it getting wet and staying damp now and it wasn't damp before, um, you know, you might might have an issue with uh, with clogging. You might want to check your drain because that can be an issue. Um, no matter what, you'll just keep pulling it up and it'll keep getting wet until, you know, you'll notice the water levels all the way at the top. So uh, check on that. Other than that, I would say, you know, kind of the same thing. Steve said you can, um, you can lift it up um, and, and turn it a little bit and try to get some media to settle down underneath it. And that way you'll, you can be able to set it down on top of that. Um, and, uh, and as long as you can do that and you don't notice the water level creeping up, you know, that should be fine. The other thing you can do is, um, cut like a PVC spacer and put it underneath your pot so that it, it won't sink down on top of it. Um, but yeah, I would say that would be the only, only other thing I can think of. And I don't think that's really going to help you right now because odds are you have a huge root ball underneath there. So you're not going to be able to put a spacer underneath there very easily but uh for the next time you know you could give them little little spacers underneath to make sure that it doesn't sink down at all and just have that be more of a static height but uh yeah check your drain i would say that'd be the only thing i have to add Alrighty. um we had another question which is is the true aquaponic three-week nutrient dose sufficient to grow cannabis of course you may need to add more than one batch um, so for that one um, the true aquaponics dosing batch along with pretty much everything else you're gonna see on the uh, cannabis market at the moment is designed specifically for leafy greens and vegetable uh, like lettuce basil low nutrient uh, requirement crops um, so while it definitely will help you quite a bit don't get me wrong it's not gonna quite get you to those um, proper levels be great for veg but yeah i mean decent for veg but um you know, i might want to double it like you're saying well it, it kind of depends so the the three-week veg i've actually talked i know 
um, Roger a, a blend of uh, different things like iron, potassium, a couple of other things. Um, and depending on what you currently have, um, you, like you wouldn't want to double up on iron per se because that could start causing you calcium issues and all that, which is everything has to be in the right ratios, which is why if you start going willy-nilly with some of the stuff, it can get kind of, and you don't know what you're doing, you can cause a lot of damage. Um, but if you do know what you're doing, you can really tweak it. Um, so it just depends on, you know, how experienced you are uh, and how much research you've done on the topic. Um, uh, on that particular on that particular one but you don't you know you wouldn't want to double up or put double the amount in i guess is what i'm trying to say with the with those packs because you'll for one you'll overshoot your iron right so it's you know like it just there's some things that wouldn't you like wouldn't be a problem doubling up on but some of them will be so you can't just straight double everything um yeah. so I think you'd be better off getting a, you know, like a, some of the key to life nutrients or something like that, that, you know, was a little geared more towards the crop you're trying to grow. Yep. Um, or it, it depends. I mean, he's got a lot of great stuff, but, but you, again, you're far better off in dosing individual nutrients and knowing what you're doing or using a full blend that's designed to work the, like a two-part that's designed to work with itself where everything's kept in ratio or uh, you know a, a three-part or any you know something like that um, or you know we you know looking at your plants and saying oh they need potassium or oh they need this or oh, they need that or you know making a good base blend based on a known formula or something that's out there and then just accounting for you know things like nitrogen zinc copper uh, and a few others that you know um, yucca is another good one that'll kill your fish pretty quickly um, especially in California the uh, the natives here used to use the uh, yucca extract for fish stunning they pour it and concentrate it and pour it in a river and stun the fish uh, to catch salmon and stuff so um, yeah so they definitely have... is, uh, ever heard of the but... I was just gonna say they definitely have a lot of individual you know, fish safe ingredients and that, you know, you might be better off, like you were saying, you know, learning about those independently as opposed to just trying to double the, the one that he has there <coughs> with the pack. And uh, so yep. I think there's a lot of information out there about, you know, we've talked about it before about, you know, and we even covered a little bit in this episode in terms of, you know, more nitrogen and flour, you know, so more and or I'm sorry, more nitrogen in veg and more P and K uh, while you're in flower and uh, definitely adjusting those. Um, and pretty much how you do it is kind of, you know, up in the air, but you, you want to supplement those things um, individually as opposed to just double all of that stuff. Cause you're like, you were saying the the base elements don't, don't stack evenly like that. So uh, um, definitely check out a lot of their, their fish safe stuff because uh, what's great about all the stuff that you'll find over there with Roger's stuff is that you don't have to, you know, he does a extremely thorough job of filtering out the stuff that is not fish safe. So that's a great resource for people that, uh, you know, may not have the time to go through all that stuff or, or 
just will enjoy the fact that they don't have to. <laughs> um, so it's a great place to go for that stuff. And so I don't want to discourage using his, uh, his weekly thing or however it is that he, he does the, the group stuff. All I'm saying is that um, learn about the individual ones and in, in dosing those or maybe we can talk to Roger about having one set up specifically for uh, for cannabis, like week one flower or something like that, so that people don't just double up on that stuff. I'm sure you'd be open to that, what do you think? Yeah. Um, one time I was working, it was always funny working at different places and we had somebody dump like eight or 10 times as much um, aqua KH up, I think it was, uh, in their system. And because it was a bicarb and the amount they did, and he started off at like 8.2 pH, it like only raised it to like 8.4 or 8.6 and like <laughs> just <laughs> made his water super hard and had no other, <laughs> but like, you know, if he had super acidic water, he might've had an issue, but it just happened to be like super lucky. This this guy was really the, the way he messed up and, uh, and his starting point for his pH. And it was just like, wow, man, like you really dodged a bullet on that one. <laughs> um, uh, so, um, all right. So they, they got another question, which was ever heard of, those small scale high yield farms. I'm thinking of doing some basil and AP and herbs and selling to restaurants and such. Any advice on the subject, gentlemen? Um, I mean, there's lots of different small scale higher yield models. Um, the biggest thing when it comes to like that kind of stuff is researching the heck out of your local area and finding out what you can grow and what type of season to make decent amount profit and that's kind of the biggest thing that people don't do um, that they really should when they're trying to do these aquaponic farms and aquaponic you know you really need to go talk to your local chefs and restaurants and you know uh, farm groups and whatever um, and, and find out what the demand is um, uh, you know dinner party chefs are another really good one um, you know and unless you talk to them and get what they want um, you know, I know there's a big market with the dinner party, cannabis dinner parties and stuff. So maybe if you can find someone that's doing that and get them their veggies and their cannabis, um, that'd definitely be something that I would highly recommend. You know, who knows? Maybe you can. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I have a buddy that uh, um, actually has a small aquaponics farm in Ashland, Oregon, here, just a little bit south of us here. And uh, he runs the aquaponics meetup group. And, um, you know, I, I met with him a, a few different times. He's a great guy. He, I actually bought my half barrels from, well, I guess they were full barrels at the time. I bought my poly barrels from this guy. And, uh, um, gosh, was that like three or four years ago now? So it's been quite a while. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, so he runs a small... Uh, one where he he did just that. He went around and talked to the, all the different chefs and stuff. Ashland is kind of like a niche market. You know, it's sort of like a, I don't know, like a small scale Aspen, Colorado, if oh, you will. Boy. You know, like, yeah, like a like a wannabe, though. They're not, they don't quite have that much money. So, um, oh, yeah, People's Republic or, no, I'm just kidding. 
so <laughs> they they have a niche market there where they have quite a few sort of I would call them like uppity restaurants and stuff to where they they want a variety of different microgreens basically um, to be able to cook with like they want you know fresh greens that they can dress up and use in their dishes and have them consistently <clears throat> and so you know obviously they they love having that stuff and so what he runs into issues with is just growing enough variety and getting the volume just right you know it's not like um all of them will want one particular thing so you have your basics you know like your different leafy greens like spinach is obviously one that he does a lot basil he does a lot um and then uh but like pea shoots was the one that he was you know surprised that he got a lot of demand for um and and just be able to adjust sort of what what you grow um just to be able to kind of uh, adjust to the market. So when they want, you know, when you bring them something, if you if you grow some new sort of like red leaf lettuce or something like that, just be prepared for them to be like, I need 10 orders of this twice a week for the next six months. You know, yep. and they'll definitely, you got to be able to transition from, you know, to what they want because nobody wants their menu to get stale. Um, and so they'll, they'll need to, you know, kind of change it up. And so <clears throat> maintaining a variety while still producing quantity, um, you know, can definitely be, be a challenge. But I feel like that's what you have to do in that sort of small-scale market. Um, so we had a question on the chat. So how viable would banana or banana skin ferment fruit skin juice be for supplementing potassium? Supposedly dry banana peels are around 40% potassium. So they are around 40% potassium, but that's only if you like sinter them, which is like freezing and powdering them or burning them or otherwise drying and powdering them. Um, and then that potassium is only so much available. And even then you're still talking like thousands of, I mean, you'd have to, maybe if you had a banana plantation, it would make sense. But there's just no, I mean, you can do it, but you're not adding enough to, uh, it's not going to add enough to actually make more than like a single PPM difference in your in your water is the issue. Now, as far as using them for skins, for ferment juice and all that, making ferments, absolutely, they're good for, uh, for that. But again, you're not adding a ton of potassium. You're adding a little bit, but you're not going to add all that much. Yeah, I don't think from the skin you get all that much. It definitely, if you have some, like, that that go bad, for instance, and the fruit is still there, then in your fermentations, I think you'll probably get a little bit more, like, actual potassium content. Um, but either way, they're a great fuel source for microbes. So when you put them in a fermentation, um, you know, you're probably, even though you're not getting, like, a high, we'll say, like, numerical value of potassium, um, you're still uh, giving them a great uh, sustainable source for the fermentation to develop more microbes and spread those. So um, I definitely recommend doing it, and I definitely recommend putting them uh, or just feeding them to your worm bin because uh, it's a great easy way to break them down and, you, you know, obviously throwing them away is, you know, just sort of a waste. So 
um, I would definitely uh, I would definitely add them, but I I wouldn't necessarily just rely on them either. If you you know if you want to go for your ideal NPK sort of setup, then you're definitely going to probably have to add something like you know kelp, um, for instance, would probably be you know the go-to supplement that I have. And so you know I always uh, I always take the sort of laid back perspective in terms of dosing stuff so unless i see the plant having an issue with it um you know i'm generally more reactionary to feeding as opposed to dosing so um uh, i've only used it a few times but i do use uh it primarily in my outdoor soil garden for feeding my uh my soil when i do fermentations out there too so definitely not by itself but uh if you eat bananas anyway you might as well compost them and you know just use them in your worm juice i would say it would be the ideal way to deal with them i don't know if i worried about like drying them and powdering them and like trying to get as much potassium out of them as i could i think you could probably you know spend some time uh doing some other stuff it would be more beneficial um and uh kelp is really cheap so like we did solid maxi crop uh you know, will save you a lot of time. I think it's maybe like, I don't know, 12 bucks for a, I don't know what size bag it is, but it's not that much. So I would definitely uh, save the banana peels, compost them, but I, I wouldn't spend a lot of time trying to like get as much as you can out of them. Just throw them in your worm bin. If you don't have a worm bin, get a worm bin. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> yeah, red wigglers, um, like, uh, um, I just got mine from a local farmer's market. They're cheap. Um, you can use a lot of different stuff. If you want to kind of look at something for a model, um, I think it's, is it Earth, Earthworm Jim? Uncle Earthworm Jim? Something like that. I think Earthworm Jim Farm. They have a pretty cool worm bin. Earthworm Jim's Farm. I think that's what it is. So the, no, it's Uncle Jim's, Uncle Jim's Uncle Jim. Worm Farm. Earthworm Jim is a video game for Sega Genesis. That's right. That's <laughs> Cross wires there. Too much Starfighter. <laughs> so anyway, Earthworm Jim's farm. Right. <laughs> we should run. If you ever order from him, make sure you tell him. Marty told you you want Uncle Earthworm Jim, not just Uncle Jim. That's right. So Uncle Jim. Uh, and they have red worms, and they also have a great design for uh, for a worm bin, which you can make your own. Just kind of get an idea of how you know how they're set up in there, so that you can uh, um, know how to feed them and maintain them. And have a lot of information on them, and you can order worms right online. I actually did order some from them. They came through, um, shipped just fine. They got here. Uh, um, basically, take them out, give them water as soon as they come out, and, and get them into the worm bin as soon as possible um there's some diy videos online for how to do like uh, a series of like three or four or five gallon buckets that you can rotate for a decent worm bin um just by drilling some holes in the bottom of them and setting up some mesh or uh different layers so um and then you can just sort of stack them on top of each other and pull them apart um as you want to sort of refine down into the castings in the bottom and 
the water can go through to the very bottom one, which obviously doesn't have holes in it. So check out some of those videos if you want to, but um, that's a great way to break down pretty much all of that fruit waste, whether it's banana peels or other stuff. And, and some of that stuff will surprise you. Like I found out, I think I mentioned this on the episode before, kiwi actually has a significant amount, um, almost as much as banana peels do um, of potassium, which I thought was pretty interesting. So when I was at uh, Costco the other day, they had a huge thing of kiwis. And so I was like, all right, well, I like kiwi anyway. So <clears throat> chopped them up and all the skins and stuff like that all went into the fermentation. And um, it definitely had a, you know, um, uh, the fermentation smelled nice and sweet and um, had some great life establishing on top of it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't used it yet, so I can't say for sure. But um, Sweet is a relative term with ferments. For ferment, it was sweet. There's a yeah. there's a sour there's a smell, smell, like a. <laughs> it wasn't actually sweet smelling. Just, just yeah, to well, you haven't done it before. <laughs> more like not sour smelling as opposed to sweet, but definitely like especially with like labs or EM one, I definitely feel like it gets a little bit like borderline sweet. I wouldn't be like black coffee with regular sugar sweet, you know, like not not like Starbucks sweet, but definitely uh, um, I guess more just not rancid or sour. Um, and so I, it's got a couple more days left, but it, it's already got a nice layer on top. It's getting some good like natural aeration, um, some bubbles popping up. So you can definitely <clears throat> see it going to work so let those microbes grow for another few days and then uh, dilute it down and feed it in and uh, so yeah that's a great way to do pretty much break down whether it's banana peels or whatever um, you know it's a great way to break stuff down whether it's in your worm bin or the fermentation um, you know it's all very useful I think just not by itself Another good uh, potassium supplement, if you're looking for something that's natural and organic, is langbanite, which is potassium, magnesium, carbonate, which is basically Epsom salt plus potassium, which is a natural occurring um, mineral salt. But that's perfectly fine. No sodium in it, so don't worry. When we say salt, um, it's not always a bad thing, which a lot of people mistake that for thinking sodium all the time. Right. Um, Potassium sulfate's good. Potassium carbonate, potassium bicarbonate, potassium silicate. My big one. I'm I'm big fan of potassium silicate um, as pH up and potassium and silica booster. So um, also a natural occurring mineral. So um, the next question was: I believe this podcast will be powerful. Uh, oh, blah, 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 blah. sorry. Um. Okay, so give us the bare bones on a grow nutrient schedule to grow quality organic medicine. Maybe something that anybody can get started learning how to pH their water with phosphoric acid. What is the best given through the soil layer? And what is best given through the AP layer? Budget-friendly options. Um, that's a pretty, like wide open question um how do i do it all we actually did do a uh, 101 
Yeah, how do you do absolutely everything? Um, we actually haven't done like a hardcore nutrient or nutrient listing episode, which at some point we'll get around to doing. It's just it. That's something I need to sit down and plan like the week beforehand and do you know have a bunch of stuff laid up and all that. Um, but we did do a 101 um, an episode or two or three ago um, as far as equipment and getting started and all that. But we'll we'll kind of do like maybe like a I'll maybe try to set up something next week and maybe just try to cover veg or like early plant life, like the first month of a plant's life or something like that. Maybe try to do it like plant time period wise. That might make more sense, you know. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. But uh, I think that might be a better way to cover it um, because that's a pretty open-ended question. Um, but we'll definitely uh, figure out a way to, to answer that. It just kind of is a – we'd be on here for another three or four hours if we actually answered that as a podcast. Yeah, I think I'm um, going to like – What is the best given uh, through the soil layer? Good. Well, I think I, I – because we've gotten this question we talked about, the you know, the – aquaponics 101 or whatever um you know and trying to figure all that out and so i think what i'm gonna do is do like a slideshow because i have pictures from pretty much every stage along the way and doing you know like almost like a narrated slideshow of, marty's gonna give a presentation everyone yeah because it's just so hard to like stuff all that into a you know like one episode or yeah and not miss something and so, um, yeah, just too many rabbit holes, I think, to get sucked down in. So I think I'll probably do something like that um, maybe in the next few weeks. But other than that, I don't, you know, like, like you said, it's a pretty open-ended question. Like, you know, as far as, like, what's best through the dual root zone or not through the dual root zone, you know, I feel like that's, you know, I don't know. Like, <clears throat> I would say that it kind of depends on what what you have. If you're dosing stuff, like, uh, you know, if you've got uh, rock phosphate, for instance, that's you know primarily powder, then you know probably the best way to use it is make sure it gets to the cannabis plants is to feed it into the dual root zone and you know water it into the top, you know, once a week or something like that. Um, it, you know, if you're just adding um, you know, like a compost tea, for instance, then, you know, I'd probably just pour it into the media bed because for the most part, if you're feeding microbes, you know, I just try to cover as much surface area of the media I can uh, to try and establish as much of that microbial life as possible. Um, so I, I do put, <clears throat> I do feed some compost tea uh, into the dual root zone, but I, I definitely, you know, wouldn't put it all through there, I guess. But I'm sure it wouldn't be, wouldn't be yeah, terrible. So like, stuff like iron. Go yeah, ahead. Iron, um, potassium, some of your micros are uptaken. Stuff that wants to be in a non-oxidized form, so like iron and some of your other stuff um, is a better uptaken via your root zone um, or via the water. Uh, I have a bunch of stuff on this, but this gets pretty technical. And again, I think it would be better for a more in-depth episode, maybe just on part of each of this, these topics or something like that. Yeah, I would so, say your heavier minerals, 
you would probably want to get into the soil so that they stay a little more contained as opposed to like, you know, if you're feeding stuff that's water soluble, then, you know, you could pour it into your sump tank if you want to. And, I, you know, I just don't think it's going to make that much difference. But, you know, that's, that's my own personal opinion, I guess. <clears throat> but I've done it every way. I've done it. I've added to the sump tank. I've added it to the media. And uh, so I think that all of them can work as far as, like, what's technically the best. I'm sure Steve has some study on it by now. Yeah, we've done quite a bit of research on what to dose where and all that. So um, what else here? So we had a, a couple of fish food questions this week. Um, I wanted to touch on a couple of different fish foods and why they're good or bad. Um, so we had the first couple, which is um, duckweed and azola which are common fish foods that people push out there. Um, they're decent, but the, and they have high protein, but they're only high protein if you dry them. Um, so the other issue they have is they'll take over your, your, your grow beds and everything else. So if you do use them, you want to freeze them or dry them in the sun and kill them first that way and then feed them. Um, I've never used them um, much as a long-term source. I use them for a while. Um, mostly azola more than the duckweed, um, but um, uh, yeah, it um, <laughs> it helps uh, quite a bit for you know it can help as a supplemental feed, but it's not really a good uh, long-term fish feed or main fish feed. Um, you could definitely use it to make a um, you know a paste or something like that if that's what you wanted to do. Um, another one is uh, trimmings and prunings from your plants. Um, that's definitely one you can do. Um, but again, you know, they're not going to get a ton of nutrition on it. Um, you know, don't count it as a staple sub source. But, you know, giving them a few every day to munch on is, is not a bad thing at all. Um, I know I do that in most of the, most of the grows that I do. Um, you know, they love it. And they're gone pretty much instantly. Um, uh, this is mostly stuff for home grows, but other ones are uh, cockroaches. So cockroaches such as dubia roaches and um, hissing cockroaches are great, great sources for um, fat and protein. And that are really, really good for that kind of stuff. Um, if you're looking for something that's easy to raise, really high yield, um, quick turnover you can take all your plant scraps your roots from your when you cut off your lettuce and you're doing your lettuce heads take your roots feed it to them it's great their their manure is really good um, and they make great fish food um, throw them in a in a ziploc bag throw them in the freezer for 30 minutes to stun them or kill them then dump them in the fish tank they're real good fish food um, earthworms which we talked about in the red wigglers um, they're great you can do them in a worm bin or right in your grow beds um, you know if you're doing them for food you'd be better off putting them in a separate worm bin um, and doing it that way um, rather than maintaining a separate colony um, rather than trying to dig through your your grow beds all the time um, and other ones that I haven't you don't see as much but they're beneficial are bloodworms and blackworms um, they're great for uh, eating the detritus and the junk in the lower part of your media beds and um, getting some of that mucky, scummy, junkier crap out of your system or in, in addition to your filter, your, your filtration to get additional filtration out of your, your system to get additional uh, solids breakdown. They're great 
um, they really seek out those anaerobic zones, put little tunnels into them and help break them up and uh, get more oxygen flow into those and help get rid of them. So they're really, really good, uh, good for that. Another one you can introduce to your grow beds or as a fish food for baby fish is grindle worms, um, G-R-I-N-D-A-L, grindle worms. Um, they're small, great for fish food, um, especially smaller fish. Um, you don't hear about them as much, but you can also put them in your grow beds. Um, and they're just kind of smaller than the, the red wigglers are as far as, uh, you know, just trying to fit a different niche in your, in your media. Uh, and then you have micro worms, um, which are a super, super small eel that can be uh, a little bit tedious to raise them, but I've raised a, bum, a bunch for fish feed for baby fish and fry. And then you have vinegar eels, which are, um, if you ever heard of like, um, you know, mother of vinegar, um, it's, that's all those are is some vinegar eels, um, which is a type of, um, uh, little, um, uh, thin organism, uh, type of fluke, I think, or something like that. But, uh, they live in vinegar specifically and they can be strained, uh, for baby fish food as well. Um, but those are all really good fish feeds. Um, soldier flies are another great one. Um, that are pretty easy to raise once you get the initial colony going. They do require you um, UVB to maintain their life cycle long term. Uh, I know there's a few companies out there now. I know there's the what is it the Bio Box or Bio? I forget what it's called. There's a neat little self-contained soldier fly production unit, and there's plenty of DIY models out there as well. Um, but if you just want a whole unit, you can get them. And the, the guy is really really awesome. Um, he came and did a presentation for us at one of the festivals I was at. Really great guy, um, you know. Speak can't speak high enough of him, and uh, really really funny to be around too. Um, but definitely uh, think about uh, giving his website a shout. I, don't, I think it's Bio Barrel, Bio Bucket, something for the soldier flies. And then there's uh, crickets, which can be a little bit trickier to raise, unless you're familiar with how to do it. But they can also be raised on a pretty large scale. Uh, brine shrimp are another one that can be great, great fish food for smaller fish, especially if you're doing a lot of tropicals. It can be great for boosting color um, before you send them off to sale. Um, and uh, live bearer fish, and guppies, swordtails, platies can also be another great, easy to raise um, fish feed for some of your larger fish species. Get a couple of questions pop up in chat too when you get a second. Oh, sure. Uh, on the subject of fish food, can the food you feed your fish affect the nutrient content of your water, not including the uneaten fish food breakdown? Um, so yeah, actually, so the more protein and the more meat you give your fish, the more nitrogen they'll produce, and the more, and this is just kind of general rules, these aren't like exact, but they're in general. Um, and then the more plant material you give them, the more phosphorus production you'll get. Uh, and the um, you'll kind of get more uh, um, you know phosphorus and, and that kind of stuff. So that's why we tend to switch their diet to more plant heavy when we switched in the flower or in the flowering system. Um, we tend to have more vegetarian type diet uh, for the fish or more vegetarian fish species. Um, uh, but we've done a little bit of testing on it on some 500 gallon systems. Um, at some point we'll have to do some more testing on some larger systems. Um, but that's something that I've, I haven't had a chance to test on anything larger than about a 500 gallon system. 
but you know we it, it was to the point where we were able to get some testable data out of it that were you know we were showing up a good you know i would say eight to 14 part, uh, phosphorus parts per million higher on the heavy plant system after you know two or three months um consistently um versus in purely based on diet but that was a pretty you know one nutrient in a minor dosage so um you know it's something i'd like to, to test out further um in the future and if you're just using store-bought food then obviously you can you know you they have a pretty much all of my i think all of them have a guaranteed analysis on the back that will tell you um not just the ingredients that are they used to make the food and but the guaranteed analysis will tell you what percentage of that content is phosphorus derived so you know usually it's like you know one to two percent or something like that on just like your cheap koi foods and stuff like that so if you go to your like i go to my co-op and they have different types of fish food there um, that range a little bit more in terms of more or less phosphorus content um, so definitely check out the guaranteed analysis on the new fish food that you're just going to purchase at the store. Yes, that's, that's what's important is the guaranteed analysis. That's what ha the label has to prove up to two years, just zero or what that means by guaranteed analysis. It means that the product is going to have at least that much of a nutrient or XYZ after two years, usually two years. Some other products are longer. They can be rated for longer, but it's a minimum of two years for most products. Um, we had a question actually on Facebook. Um, is moringa a good a good food source? Um, moringa is a great food source, but it's something you have to dry in powder. Um, I, I guess you could feed the seeds directly to the fish. Um, you could absolutely that and spirulina both are great for both fermenting and for um, for adding nutrients to your ferments as well as um, adding if you're just going to add. You know something to your food paste. Um, you know if you're making up like a dough, or uh, your own pellets, or your own fish flakes, or that kind of thing. Um, it's definitely a great additive to add a lot of vitamins and minerals and and that kind of stuff. And it's definitely prevalent in quite a bit of both the South and the U.S. as well as um, uh, you know other parts of the world. It's very fast. I know I saw groves and groves of it in Jamaica, um, and it tastes really good too. If you um, take the seeds and they're dry and you take them off. And you skin them, and they're the right age. And you eat them; they're they're kind of they're really good. They're nutty and kind of sweet. And, I don't know; they taste good. You grind them up and make a powder, and you add it, mix it with tea, and, and a little bit of sugar. It's really good. Um, we used to eat that all the time in Jamaica, or drink it all the time. Sorry. Um, I don't know what Mad Rebel is asking about there. Something about the biopod? Question mark. Do you know what what he's referring to? Yeah. Yeah, that's the little, um, hey, Silverarm, how's it going, man? I know, right? Is that buddy? All right, Silverarm, you need to hit us up. I'm in Cali now, and I think you're out on the West Coast here somewhere, so let's try and get together in person sometime. I should be down in SoCal here at some point in the next three to six months. So, um, let's try and set something up. Yeah, as um, for those of you who don't know, Silverarm32 is another... Uh, YouTuber has got a lot of YouTube videos out on aquaponic cannabis. Definitely go check him out on YouTube. Um, his YouTube channel is Silverarm32, uh, and he has yeah, he was actually of, the uh, only one that I could find. Go going back a couple of years. 
Yeah, he um, was the only one yeah. I could find online when I started when I started doing mine. So it's cool to see him hanging out with us tonight. Yeah, we uh we tried to get him on the show a couple months ago and we'll try to get him on the show again here soon. Um as you He's can tell we're still creature. having a little bit of stability issues. <laughs> What's up? I said he's an elusive creature. He'll disappear for weeks at a time and then pop back up with new videos. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> He'll be like, hey That's guys, right. here's my full grow out. No, yeah, yeah, we're just screwed around. <laughs> we like him though. We enjoy watching his videos. We're but anyway, so what's the biopod that Mad Rebel's talking about then? Oh, I so the biopod is a uh, soldier fly. It's a, a self-contained unit for soldier growing soldier flies, and it has like a little soldier fly larva will crawl up an incline. Um, so it has like a little auto harvester bin, so that you can dump them into a right. fish tank or into your chicken thing, or dump some of them back in. So you can take it's kind like of an a, easy little self-contained unit. My buddy that does the, that has the aquaponics uh, place in Ashland. He, he has a huge black soldier fly thing, and he basically made his own sort of little way of kind of doing an auto harvest himself, and he takes a milk jug, <clears throat> and if you take the handle where you have it, and you leave that on the top, and you cut down, basically you cut big rectangle sections out of it, but you leave a little bit at the bottom so that they'll crawl into it, but they can't crawl back out of it. And then you put almost like, uh, they just take like some fish food and put it in there as like bait. And they'll crawl in. Uh, the larva will crawl in to eat it, and then you, you know, within like 20 minutes or so, you can come back and pull it up, and it'll just be full of. And then you can throw what's left of the fish food and the um, the larva in all at once. So that way, you you get it before they develop that hard shell um, that grows on in that second stage, and then they don't, you know, the fish kind of can turn their nose up at it because it's got that hard shell on it. He says sometimes they don't, at least the catfish don't like to eat them once they get the hard shell on them as much, whereas <clears throat> the small larva will just crawl in there real quick and not be able to get back out. And then you can just pull them out and throw them in all at once. So if you just cut big sections but leave a lip at the bottom so that those small guys can't crawl out of there, um, you know, it's almost like a crab trap in a way to where you know they can crawl in but they can't get back out use a little fish food for bait so uh definitely cool yeah just so you guys are aware the the product i was talking about is called the biopod so definitely check out biopod.com and the uh, the guy that owns the company is super awesome he's like a like a goofy willy wonka version of bug guy he's really really cool he gave a really awesome presentation a couple different play times that i've seen different presentations and there's a really really cool funny guy um, I think I actually, he is a whole bunch of roaches. Last time I saw him, they gave him a huge roach colony. So I think he might even have some of my roaches still. So, Cool. Uh, Silverarm says, uh, well, just been busy for the past four years working on all over the United States, but love you guys. Love what you guys are doing. Yeah, Silverarm, we'll get you on the show here soon. We got to love to have you talk about uh, your experiences as well, but. Um, germination. So I had. Uh, did you have anything else to add to we were talking the food stuff? What? Else? Um, and then there's there's also uh, you know pellet feeds and all that are out there. Um, 
are both organic yeah. and non-organic. There's only one certified organic from a company out there called ABC Organics or something like that. And there's only one vendor, which is aquaponics source um, that I'm aware of, unless somebody else got an aquaponic food handling license. I heard a rumor that Allied Aquaponics was selling stuff illegally out the back door without a license, but uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but those rumors are going around. So um, it'd be interesting to see. The FDA has been cracking down on all that kind of stuff. So if they are, they're not going to get away with it very long. Um, what else? Yeah. So uh, do you have anything else to add for food? Or anything else that you add for your food? No, just you know, if you're buying it, stick to stick to the guaranteed analysis. I prefer pellets, I guess, over flakes, because uh, you know it just seems like that. Less uh, messy. Yeah, it's just less messy. Doesn't get all powdered and mucky and will make your water all nasty as quick. Yeah, and, and it's, if you have a catfish or two in there, it makes it easier for them to you know something to keep it clean. And I guess I feel like it's slightly easier to overfeed flakes than it is pellets. Um, so I, I would say that's my only preference. And, and they sink too for like for the catfish, for instance, it's kind of nice. And I don't have to worry about that. But I'm sure when they got hungry, they come up and eat it anyway. It's not that big a deal. But, um, you know, it, it doesn't uh, like, especially I have one system in which my main fish tank overflows into my. Uh, into my sump tank and then get everything gets pumped out of the sump tank. And so um, in that system, I don't like flakes at all because the, the um, system will just float some of the food right out of the system before the fish can eat it. So I kind of have to stand there and throw out a little bit of the time, whereas the pellets will just sink to the bottom. I don't have to worry about them just overflowing into the sump tank. So just little stuff, I guess, you know, is more like a, a personal preference thing. Um, so that's why I get pellets. And, uh, and again, the, you know, if you're just going to buy some, you know, try to, you know, do a little bit of research about what's in the actual food itself. Um, and then if you're just going to grow your own, then obviously any of the insects that we talked about are, you know, are going to be great pretty much any way that you want to feed those. And there's lots of information online about like soldier flies and all that different stuff that we just talked about. So I think that, uh, Stick to that stuff, and you should be good. I think that pretty much covers the the food aspects. Awesome. Well, I had uh, two other things I'm going to add, but it's starting to get kind of late, so I figured we'll we'll push those the next week uh, for topics. I figured we touch on. We had somebody asking about germination um, and some tips on that. And I have a couple different things for that, and then we have um, some more uh, equipment discussion that I had. Um, to bring up, but uh, starting to get a little later, so I figured I'd probably start to wind stuff down. Um, yeah, I had a couple sure. of quick announcements. Um, yeah, so if you guys go to aquaponicpodcast.com, it takes you directly to our page over at the Dude Grow Show now. Um, I set I, I set that up so that um, uh, we're gonna get Marty's um, stuff set up over there, at Dude Grows, so that uh, you can kind of find me or Marty or Vlad or. Um, Anybody else, if there's anybody else out there that's doing a whole lot in AP growing and stuff like that, maybe Silver Arm or somebody else, um, we're going to set that set up as kind of like a portal um, for the time being um, as, uh, for all aquaponic cannabis production and people and 
blogs and talk and all that. Um, and a big shout out to um, Scotty and uh, and uh, the dude for uh, allowing us to do that. Um, we go to do grow show slash aquaponics. Um, I'll take you there. Um, and um, yeah, we're gonna work on it. We have another thing in the works that'll be set up called uh, Aquaponic TV. We're gonna try and set up a conglomerate um, where it'll show a bunch of different aquaponic cannabis channels. Um, you know, all in one youtube feed or whatever i guess there's a way to do that now so i got that set up and we're going to set that up that url and that'll be really cool so kind of see me and marty and whoever else is going on stuff all in one easy place again we're all about supporting the community um we're not here to just push our own crap or anything like a lot of other uh things there uh other you know media outlets are so um i wanted to to mention that stuff that we got in the works um and uh yeah, definitely check it out. Uh, my channel's Potent Ponics. Um, you can email me, potentponics at gmail.com. Um, yeah, uh, I guess that's it from my end. What, do you have anything else? I uh, no, just check out, you know, check out the YouTube channels, like you said. Um, mine's AP Meds, so definitely check that out. The Aquaponic Cannabis Growers Facebook group. Um, you can, you know, I try to keep a little bud porn up there. Oh, yeah. As I, going to flowers so definitely uh check that out if you want some more shots of that um watch for my harvest video coming up i would say probably in the next week or so uh, we'll be chopping down the indoor probably except the cheese we'll probably go a little longer than that um the mystery cheese uh so um yeah keep an eye out for that and uh, updates on the outdoor will go up on the youtube channel and uh yeah I think that's about it. Aquaponic Canvas Growers Group on Facebook. Hit us up there. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Oh, hello, Steve. You quit before the end of the show. So lazy. Anyway, so um, we'll probably you know shoot for around the same time next week. Uh, Steve's pod or Steve show. Um, with uh, Duke Grow should be up, and I think uh, oh, he just dropped off altogether. But uh, anyway, so Steve's channel is uh, Potent Ponics, so definitely check him out over there. Oh, and he's back, maybe. Steve, you there? About that. I crashed right at the end. Oh, there yeah, you go. I crashed right at the end. I think we um, stayed I wanted, like, one other person. There's one other company I wanted to plug real quick. There's a cool guy in the Midwest. If you guys have some extra bucks and you guys want to donate to somebody doing something cool, um, there's a guy out in the Midwest called a got a group called Igoponics, and uh, he's oh, yeah. building basically like an art mobile, like a mobile uh, mobile aquaponic mobile. Um, you can he has one that's mostly built. He's trying to finish up the funding and stuff, um, but uh, yeah, he's trying to fund that. So um, definitely. Uh, Look him up on Google and, and give him a couple extra bucks if you got anything. Because he's come a long way too. It's not like about aquaponics. Yeah, new like whim thing. This guy's like he's almost there. Um, yeah, so definitely got pictures of what he's got built already and everything. So you know, check him out, yeah. see what he's doing, and and throw him a couple extra bucks if you got it. So yeah, for sure, it's a way cool project. And uh, and actually, I think we we talked about it on one of our first podcast episodes quite a while back. Yep also and he had already been doing it for a while then so um that's definitely awesome um so yeah i highly recommend you got it donate it for sure 
There was one other group I wanted to plug real quick. Let's see if I can get it to come up. I think they're called 151 Farmers, based out of LA somewhere or San Diego. I think it's San Diego, 151 Farmers on Facebook or on Google. I think it's on Facebook. Um, they're another uh, kind of aquaponic cannabis slash vegetable production um, group. I don't know if they're specifically aquaponic, but they're kind of like a cannabis vegetable production um, aid group thing. I don't know. You'll see. Check out their website and you'll see. Bunch of cannabis, bunch of veggies, bunch of good stuff happening for good for people. So. Oh, and uh, Adam so from Weed for Warriors. I want to give him a quick plug. Oh, yeah. For being on the show last week, we kind of crashed out on, on that that show last week. But uh, I want to give a big shout out to him and big thanks and check them out. Weed for Warriors. Um, he he's in Illinois in particular, so you can definitely um, take a look at them. And they're on the Dysfunctional Veterans Channel uh, and Facebook group. And I believe they have their own Facebook group too as well. So. Uh, I know we posted. I posted some of their links on their stuff from last week, so um, you can check out that podcast from last week. Uh, but just wanted to give him uh, a big thanks and shout out for being on the show. And I'm sure we'll have him back uh, soon. We uh, we're talking about having him on tonight, but he uh, he had some other stuff to do. So um, hopefully we'll we'll be able to get him back on soon. And had a blast with him, and yeah. he had a blast on the show. Um, and uh, so, you know, it'd be cool to get quite a few of us on the show at the same time, like us and him and Vlad was, you know, was fun. And and I was on their show and they have a lot of characters uh, too. Like there's some guys that I know want to get on the show and you just haven't lined up yet, but there's a handful of them that do their podcast and it, it <laughs> it's a riot. They get, they get, uh, they get pretty tuned up. It's a lot of fun. So I think you'd have fun too. So definitely uh, look for that coming up. I got a, I got a, we're going to do a uh, live stream from a secret location here in the next couple of months. Um, we were going to possibly do it last Monday, but uh, some stuff happened schedule wise. But uh, I was talking to someone that has a pretty big aquaponics farm down here, and we're going to get to interview them there uh, at their farm and everything at some point here in the next couple of weeks. Cool. Uh, well, I'm not sure exactly when we can schedule, but when I'm down that way, we're gonna pop in, um, which should be here before too long. And um, is it a cannabis farm or like a food production? And... No, no, it's not cannabis at the moment. Well, they're, I don't think they're doing cannabis. And not, not primarily. Um, it's a pretty big. Yeah, it's a pretty big aquaponics thing, and just be cool to walk around, and um, I can set it up on my phone, and we can do like a walk around, look at a bunch of cool stuff, talk to it, take people's live questions. Um, I think it'll be pretty cool. Um, so. You know, I'll talk to Drew about it, um, that. He's the yeah. guy that has aquaponics farm in Ashland. It's only about a 20-minute drive. So maybe I'll talk to him about uh, – um, I'm sure he's got internet there. He's got his office and stuff there also. So maybe we can get a little Wi-Fi uh, set up there in his aquaponic uh, little aquaponic farm. It's not, not huge or anything. Um, you know, like I said, he grows a lot of greens and stuff there locally and provides some catfish and – stuff there but it'll be pretty cool to see a small you know a small operation um you know that's been going for a few year, years now so he's definitely got some stuff figured out and learned some stuff along the way and he's even got like a like the old original system that he built 
quite a few years ago. I want to say like probably four or five years ago now. And uh, he always likes to go through and explain all the stuff that's wrong with it, that he built better in the second system. So that might be a cool sort of episode if I can get him to uh, go, you know, basically go through it and just outline some of that stuff that he ran into. Like he had some huge media beds that just, you know, he didn't have basically any filtration at all and had some huge stocking densities uh, trying to maintain his catfish. And so definitely ran into some issues with the media beds getting clogged up and the red worms not being yeah. able to keep up. And, you know, a lot of that stuff, like once he hit like the second year and stuff, he has, he has a whole rundown of stuff that he did differently in his second system. So it's kind of neat to see because the old one is still running and it's still there, but you know, he'll tell you about how he had to shovel out like, encrusted media with you know like just nothing but catfish shit in it and stuff like that so there's a lot of good lessons that he learned along the way hopefully i can get him to <laughs> share some of that stuff on camera but i i don't know last time i think he opened up because i i got him pretty stunned when i showed up so maybe <laughs> maybe we'll have to go that route again and uh, see if we can get him to open up a little. but uh i'm sure we can arrange something We'll figure it out for sure. So anyway, I'll talk awesome. to him about doing that. Alrighty, and, uh, we'll, maybe uh, we'll get going and thanks everybody for watching. Okay, that sounds great. Alrighty, we'll get going. Thanks everybody for watching. Um, be sure to check out Marty's channel at AP Meds on YouTube, mine and uh, Potent Ponics, and um, we'll see you guys again uh, next time. Take care. Have a good one. Thanks a lot.